Welcome to Practice Care with Carl White, the podcast where we help practice owners in healthcare know just enough about the business side to make good business decisions and keep their practices independent. Now our host, Carl. Do you feel like you're disillusioned or maybe exhausted or maybe just questioning if you should go if you should go to work today? These are signs of burnout, and it's alive and well in the provider population, and my guest today helps providers deal with it. I'm Carl White, Principal at Mark Advisory Group, which is a healthcare marketing agency, and I'm also the host of Practice Care. The mission for both is the same, and that's to help private practice owners stay private. Not only is that what they want, but I really believe that care is better when it's just you and your provider sitting at the table trying to figure out what's best for you and nobody else is secretly whispering in your provider's ear what their own agenda is and it does happen. Whether it's a hospital or a health system, a franchise, owners in faraway lands, whoever they might be, if you can kick them out and just be you and your provider sitting at the table what's best for you, chances are your care is going to be better than otherwise. And my guest today is Dr. Joe Sherman. Joe is a pediatrician, coach, and consultant to individuals and healthcare organizations in the areas of cross-cultural medicine, leadership, and provider well-being. He is a certified physician professional development coach and a group facilitator with the Center for Courage and Renewal. Joe's been in medical practice for over 35 years, concentrating on healthcare delivery to underserved and medically complex children. After struggling with professional burnout himself, He's now passionate about helping others in the helping professions find joy and fulfillment in their careers. He also holds an appointment as clinical associate professor of pediatrics at the University of Washington. And Joe, thanks for taking some time to come on to Practice Care. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Carl. Yes, I've been looking forward to this. It's, it's such an understatement to say this is a really important topic, but, but it really is. And let's start off with a bit more about you, bios of my guests do some of the job and not the whole job. So tell us a bit more about your background. And you know, you mentioned in your buyout that there was a like a burnout episode for you. Uh, just fill us whatever you're comfortable with. Fill us in a bit more about that. And then pivoting, you know, to go from treating kids full time to what you're doing now. It's 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 an interesting background. So tell us more about it. Sure. Thanks so much for asking the question. Um, I don't think that I have had what people would describe as a conventional medical career. Uh, started out wanting to be a pediatrician, a general pediatrician, and take care of kids, and really felt called to working with underserved populations. I think that had more to do with the training center where, um, where I did my residency in Richmond, Virginia. It was an inner city setting. And that really became the population that I knew well and that I was most invested in. So I started out in general pediatric practice in Washington, DC, but then soon realized that I really wanted to be involved in teaching. I wanted to be involved in bringing people who were training in that healthcare into the communities to really meet the families that they were caring for. Mm -hmm. So my career went forward in this combination of medical education and community pediatrics. And I had various jobs, both in the U.S. as well as abroad. Uh, I lived, my wife and I lived in Uganda for two years working there. Okay. And we also later worked and lived in uh, South America and Bolivia for four years there. And it was then 
I think after returning from Bolivia and after being there for four years, practicing in a small town uh, and a healthcare system, which was very different than the United States, after returning, I really had difficult time fitting in, fitting back into what was my traditional role in healthcare and as a pediatrician. What Part of that was yeah. just that I had discovered things about myself in Bolivia that I hadn't before, uh, just about the breadth of what I liked doing in healthcare. It wasn't just taking care of patients, but it was education. It was community building. It was cross-cultural relations, all these things. So I tried to fit in. I tried to work, tried to make a system uh, that was a large academic health center clinic uh, fit me. Uh, and it just didn't. For me, mm. it was more that I wanted to fix everything. I wanted everyone to have a great experience in the clinic. I became medical director and I got caught into this thing that a lot of doctors do when things aren't going right. And you don't feel like things are going right for you. You just work harder. You try to make it better. Yeah. You fix it and you just get burned out. And that's what happened to me. Okay. Is there, is there an example of something that after you got back from Bolivia, you tried to implement that just, it was, you know, kind of hitting your head on a brick wall or one, one example of this? Absolutely. I would say, you know, in, uh, in Bolivia, this thing that happened in the United States in 2008, 2009, where, uh, the economy kind of crashed. We didn't hear about that news where we lived in Bolivia. It just didn't hit the uh, local radio station. Right. So when we returned in 2009, uh, what I found was that uh, the healthcare industry was just like many other industries in the United States. It had kind of crashed and was mm -hmm. really hurting for funding. So I went to work at a university a clinic, a pediatric clinic, which had just cut their staff pretty much in half in order wow. to save money and to cut the budget. And what that did for the clinic where I worked was that it took all of the registered nurses, all the RNs out of the system. And these RNs were doing a lot of medical case management uh, that was really yeah. necessary for complex patients. And as a result, we got rid of all the RNs, the medical assistants then kind of had to step up and they really weren't trained to do that. And I was trying to kind of fill in the gaps everywhere I possibly could and um, just found myself trying to fix a system that was so huge and was this huge freight train moving down the tracks and I was just trying to make my little clinic work as best as it could yeah. for the people who work there. And it was just overwhelming. God, it takes me back. I, uh, I used to work in corporate and there was a division of a company I was in and in the marketing department, they went from 40 people to like six in an afternoon. And, wow. you know, so I can't say it's identical to you, but, but, you know, the work did not trimmed down by that same ratio. It just kept going and Hey, everybody stay focused and let's make our goals for the year. And you're one of the six. I was actually, I was in this program. It, for me, it was like watching a horror movie. I was not affected by it, but I was in that same department 
Yeah, it's like it was like an internship kind of sort of. And you watch this and you look at these people and you go, how are they supposed to stay? Like there aren't even enough people left to figure out which work should get done. It, you can't even do that in a, in, a, in a pediatrics clinic or any other clinic. Patient walks in, I need help today. You can't, sorry, you didn't make the cut. You're below the line of priorities. You can't even do that, my God. And ugh, yeah, there's probably way too many stories of that. And RNs of all things. I mean, I don't need any yeah. more doctors to tell me that a good RN is worth their weight many times over. And why the hell would you, anyway, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> so how long were you living it in was, that kind of, how long did that go on? Did, I guess before, it, was the change you changed? Like you made the career pivot or was it, it things got better or what? You know, in looking back at this, I would say it was a combination of burnout and misplacement, I think. And I think that this is something as I work with my coaching clients uh, and talk to groups of physicians, I feel like it's important to understand the difference between burnout and not being well-placed in a job and a career that is right for you personally. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens with many of us is that as the pressures mount and we're now going through that same phase very similar to what happened back in 2009, 2008 and 2009, mm -hmm. where many of the uh, support staff, uh, nurses, medical assistants, many people in healthcare have left after being traumatized by the peak of the pandemic and the medical providers, physicians, PAs, nurse practitioners are left behind trying to do the work that they used to have a lot of support in doing, yeah. which is really not only taking care of patients, but answering their emails or phone calls, their uh, patient portal messages, getting lab results back, trying to schedule consults. All of these things end up in the lap of medical providers now that so many of our support uh, staff have been taken away. So the idea of burnout, which is being emotionally exhausted, mm -hmm. just working hard. And sometimes that comes from this other concept called moral distress or moral injury, where you are called upon by your employer mostly to practice medicine in ways that are just not consistent with your values mm -hmm. and are not consistent with your standards of care. And that produces this this really, the sense of, um, of being forced to do something that is just against your morals. And then this leads to emotional exhaustion because you're constantly rethinking everything you do and you're traveling, you're being called upon to do more and more administrative tasks. And then that leads to this sense of, am I really having any impact at all? Am I really doing anything other than filling out my electronic health record and right. just trying to keep up with phone calls? And then what happens with many of us is that we become depersonalized from the whole process. We just go into this automatic mode where we're just trying to get through the day. Mm -hmm. And then the thing that most of us went into medicine for to begin with, that relationship with patients is gone. And we're mm -hmm. just trying to get through. Uh, and this, again, just leads to, like I said before, what I tried to do, many of us take this on ourselves saying, 
I can complain about whoever my, um, I'm being my boss is, but at the same time, I'm the one that has to work harder to try to make it better. Mm-hmm. And then that just leads to this snowball effect where we just become not only burned out, but the next stage, which is depression, anxiety, yeah. and mental illness. And that's what we're facing now. Yeah. And I'm, I don't know if you have like a, even a, an estimate or a guesstimate, but what would you say, like the proportion of the provider population out there that is on some stage of, you kind of described a spectrum pretty quickly there, but, or a progression rather, but what, what would you guess? Yeah. So there's been many studies and surveys, which kind of irritates me because I'm kind of like, can we stop investing in doing surveys and seeing how bad things keep getting and, and invest more in trying to fix the system? Yeah. Uh, but the latest numbers that we have is that up to 60% of physicians or more in some specialties are claimed to be burned out completely, which means that if you think about it, if you walk into a doctor's office at any point in time now, that you have over a 50% chance, over 60% chance of encountering a provider who really doesn't want to be there and is just burned out completely. That's scary That's to think stunning. of as a patient, right? That yeah. this person who you're seeing is supposed to be your doctor actually is feeling like really questioning whether she wants to be there at all completely. Yeah. And that is really challenging. So that's one number. The other number is that uh, during, I forget which year, maybe this was 2021 or so, that 30% of physicians claimed to have experienced symptoms of depression uh, Hmm. during that time. And that's a large number that is beyond the the state of burnout Mm -hmm. where depression. Now we're starting to talk about symptoms that are more systemic, where you feel like really not wanting to get out of bed in the morning, Mm -hmm. feeling like you don't take joy with this in the same things you used to, uh, senses that it impacts your sleep, your appetite, everything about you, your relationships. And that's the situation. And it sounds kind of doom and gloom, but I will tell you, it's also a call to action. And I mm-hmm. think that that's important to know too. Yeah. And so it's a perfect kind of, you know, segue. What can healthcare workers and physicians do to, you know, avoid it, make it better, get their love back for why they got into it all in the first place? I think for myself, as I look back, I... I kind of tell people, I say not a conventional way of going through medical practice or a medical career. Mm -hmm. I have never had the same job for more than five years. And part of that is just circumstantial changes in life, uh, getting married, moving to another country. But uh, many of those decisions came because I felt like I had reached the limit to where I wanted to be in that job. Mm -hmm. So I feel like one thing that's important, and I know that as physicians, people don't want to hear this about self-care. However, really? I have to say, I well, what happens is that, especially in the employed sector, which is now the vast majority of physicians, yeah. that uh, 
the employers, a hospital or healthcare system, in order to deal with burnout will say, well, you really need to take care of yourselves better. And that is a message to like, physicians. When? Like, it's all your yeah. fault. You just right, yeah. kind of like, and when would you know, I do that? Buck up and deal. Yeah. Right? And, and for us, you know, the most resilient people in the world that delayed their gratification all through their medical training until they were well into their 30s, sometimes 40s or whatever, yeah. and paid all kinds of money for your education and, you know, all of this stuff to tell us that we need to do better and work harder is, is kind mm -hmm. of a, a slap in the face. But I do have to say that we have to be, I, you know, we have to be selfish. And I, it, it's hard to, it's hard to think that I am somebody that would say that. And people who know me well, would like, well, no, he would never mm -hmm. say that. But I will tell you, unless you invest in yourself, truly invest in your own well-being you are not going to be there yeah. for your patients and for your family. So I think that you need to really be selfish, set boundaries mm -hmm. and be really be firm about that. And I think that is, and that can come in any kind of way for many different people. For me, it's a practice of what I call what it's self-compassion is that when I fall short or when I feel like I need to set boundaries that I have compassion on myself and say, everybody has a limit. Everybody mm -hmm. has a certain point to where they can't do work any harder or do any more. Yeah. So I think being, taking care of yourself and not only that doesn't just mean exercise and eat right and everything it does get mm -hmm. enough sleep, but it also means self-advocacy. It means to stop and reflect on where you are, mm -hmm. what it is that you really love about medicine and what it is that really brings you down about your work. And as you analyze that and you reflect on that, and sometimes this is the best way to do this is with a coach or yeah. somebody else that can help you and ask you the right questions to determine if what you're doing now is in sync with your values and what mm -hmm. brings you life. And then once you determine that and you kind of understand, wow, this is the part of my job I really love. For me, I love interacting with patients and families and teaching and education. Mm -hmm. So then you say, how can I expand that aspect of my job mm -hmm. in my present job if possible? And how can I decrease the amount of time I'm spending with the things that really bring me down? Mm -hmm. And we're at a point now, I really believe that we as physicians are in a place where we can go to our supervisors, our chief medical officers, our clinic directors, whoever that is, and really sit down and say, I've been thinking about this. And in order for me to sustain myself in my present job, I need more of this and less of this. Mm -hmm. How can we make that happen? Mm -hmm. Many of us are not used to doing that. We're used, our culture has always said, you know, kind of shut up and do what you're told and just keep working harder. So for us to, number one, take the courage to ask for what we want and need. Yeah. And number two, really hold our employers or whoever it is that's in, that controls our, our jobs, mm -hmm. hold them accountable. And to say, 
you really need me if you in order to you know and it's yeah it's going to cost you a lot of money so it's going to be worth you investing in me yeah we can both win i wonder if you've got like a like a client story you could share of something that's kind of similar to that anonymize it of course but just to tell people it's more than theory like this 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 can really happen absolutely there's several of my coaching clients who i've worked with and we've gone through this uh, this reflection phase where we we've defined uh, the values that uh, that my client holds very near and dear mm-hmm. and those activities within their present job which is which are consistent with those values and which bring them joy not only that yeah. they that they survive but they thrive and being able to kind of make that happen so one of my uh, coaching clients is a pediatrician And uh, she was working as a general pediatrician in a practice. And she really felt like she wanted to spend more time with her patients. And she really was interested in integrative medicine, complementary medicine, and trying to do more holistic practice. Mm -hmm. So, So she actually got additional training in integrative medicine. And then she really wanted to figure out how can she bring this to her present practice? So I worked with her to go to her um, chief medical officer where she was working, mm-hmm. her clinic director, the administrative director of her clinic. And this was a valued physician who was really working hard mm-hmm. and doing well for her practice. And she said, I really want to start a clinic within our general pediatric clinic, mm-hmm. which is an integrative pediatric clinic. And I would love to be able to get referrals internally from our own physicians mm-hmm. and spend a longer period of time with the patients and really practice this new, uh, these new skills that I've learned. Mm-hmm. So I worked with her. We kind of set up how she's going to meet with these people that will make the decisions and, and how she was going to sell this to them because she had yeah. it worked out and she knew that it was a money-making operation. Mm-hmm. And she also knew that if she, she was so valued within the practice that they really couldn't say no, because they mm-hmm. didn't want to lose her. Yeah. So she went and she said, give me this one day a week. And this is what I need. This is how I'd love to set up the practice. And, um, and they worked it out. And now she has one day a week where she practiced integrative medicine, integrative pediatrics within her practice. Mm-hmm. And I've worked with her also ongoing to make plans to eventually set up her whole wellness center on her own in private practice. All right. And she's working toward that now. That's great. It, it, I mean, uh, one theme that you talk about with, with, you know, why burnout? It's like, it's, it's fit, which is only one word, but it's a big word. You know, uh, do, do you do, does the wiring of you fit with where you're working every day? And, and what I've learned over my own career is there's a lot more to that wiring than I ever stopped to think about. I would never have denied it, but when you, you have a few jobs, you build a few experiences. And if, as long as you're even halfway observant, you start noticing, huh, that over there, that's awful. And I wouldn't have known that until I, that over there though, that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, how can I get more of that and less of that? And, uh, it, it can take a while, but you have to be observed, but it's, I mean, I don't want to minimize it, but if probably the people who are not burned out fit really well where they are, um, 
as multifactorial and those who are burning out for one or many reasons, there's just this fit that's becoming, it's festering, right? And it's getting worse and worse. It's not going to get better. I mean, anytime soon. And so, yeah. So what can you do for yourself? Think about your fit, start understanding what fit all of it, as much of, you know, the, all the, all the dimensions of fit, it seems to me, um, I used to work in corporate and that's, and I didn't fit. And I'll I tell mean, you, and, and now it's, but that's really what it came to. Where do I fit? So, yeah. And it's easier said than done because yes. we as physicians are not taught to live a reflective life. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I know for me, as I went through medical school from the beginning, I was always kind of questioning, is this really where I belong? Is this not where mm -hmm. I belong? But I know I looked around me and many of my classmates, a vast majority, they had the path set for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone has this. This is four years of medical school, followed by at least three years of residency, followed mm -hmm. by some type of fellowship, followed by whatever it is. Yep. And that's the minimum. And everything is set out and you get these finish lines that you have to get to. And you just say, okay, if you do what you're told, and be the kind of doctor that your supervisor wants you to be, which may not be the kind that you really right. were meant to be. Then and you're never going to quite find line. out anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know? Then you reach the finish line and you'll get to the next stage and next stage. But then when you get out there and you're in practice and you're, it's time for you to make the decisions for yourself, mm -hmm. you really need to develop some type of reflective practice to look at your life experiences and learn what they have taught you about yourself. Yeah. And this takes time. And sometimes it takes accompaniment by someone else. It does. It does. And this other lovely cliche that I blew off forever, which was, it's about the journey, not the destination, which is the, you know, what you just described was a series of destinations. And then you get there, you're like, ah, that's it. <laughs> like, here's the piece of paper saying you're employed. Woohoo. Like it doesn't, you know, the anticipation is always much better than the reality, but it, Turns out it's it's more about the day to day. It just took me personally forever to get to that point. So, and if you're not trained, geez, I grew up. My father owned a family pharmacy. Walked in every night at nine o'clock. That's what I watched. He never pushed me in any of that direction. Dead dog tired, right? It's like you just see that every day. Oh, I guess you got to work hard. And I, I don't know if he stopped and thought. And that's all he ever did. I don't know if he ever wanted to do anything else. And so you just you you kind of marinate in that every day for a while and you just, so yeah, there's so many dimensions to, you know, the thinking and the attitudes and everything else that goes into it. But if you're stuck and you're burned out, it's real too. So you need to look at that. Um, so that's what people can do. Can the healthcare system as an institution, can it help? Is there a role for it? Um, or is it just do what we say and make the numbers? You know what I mean? Like, is you seeing any signs of progress there or anything? Yes, I actually, I do. And I, you know, I hate to say that I'm in the business of burnout. I don't want to be in the business of burnout. I want to be in the business of joy. I want to be in the business, in the business of, of rescuing. How about that? Exactly. Well, yeah. I rescuing, like, you know, but I would say I'm in the business of compassionately finding your place in the world. And I think go. that that's important. Um, so I would, and this is what I talk about a lot with my clients and, and with other folks is, is stop fighting against the things you don't have any control over. Like when I was in that job where I just became completely burned out, I was constantly fighting against this huge system 
that unless I wanted to campaign to be the CEO or the CMO or whatever, mm-hmm. um, which I did not feel called to do, um, I wasn't going to change that system. It was yeah. bigger than me. So I could complain and complain and my system wouldn't, my situation wouldn't change. So I look and say, what is it you have control over? What is your sphere of influence that Mm -hmm. will impact your experience on a day-to-day basis? Mm -hmm. And what is it that you have control over? Um, There is a great resource that is free to to anyone. Uh, uh, The AMA has a, uh, a program called Steps Forward. And this program okay. is online. It has modules, it has videos, it has resources. And the people who have contributed to it are excellent. They've done research and they look at, at the individual as well as the organizational components of burnout and joy and success and fulfillment mm-hmm. in your careers. So that's one thing that I would advise everyone to at least take a look at and to take a look at the, and see what it is that you have control over. Mm -hmm. Do you have control over who your medical assistant is, or do you have control over your, if you're an outpatient doctor, do you have control over your schedule throughout the day? And some people say, no, I don't have any control, but have you tried? Have you actually asked and said, this really looks like this would work better for me. I really need to have you know, more space in my schedule or something to work out. So that's really one big thing. Um, What do you have control over and what are your needs? What is it that brings you joy? Mm -hmm. What do you really need to thrive in your practice? Mm -hmm. And what do you have control over? Because you need to let go of those things you have no control over and, and work Mm -hmm. on protecting yourself from right. that setting boundaries or saying no and going home when you have to go home. Right. Now, as far as the healthcare system is concerned, right. um, I would love to kind of like blow it up and start all over again, yeah. but I don't know. If I have a few, I have a few requests if you ever get to that point. <laughs> <laughs> so I do think that there are some movements. I think a lot of this uh, big major movements is going to have to occur at the level of uh, of the of the federal government. That's usually the offices of Medicare, Medicaid, because uh, our health system is very much run by insurance companies. Mm-hmm. They kind of control how we move down the line, and insurance companies typically follow whatever the policies are from the Center for Medicaid, Medicare and Medicaid Services. Yeah. So that's like big changes. I don't know, cause that's so political, but on an individual organizational level, there's a difference between window dressing for burnout and for um, overwhelm or misfit in your mm-hmm. jobs. Window dressing is, oh, here's our chief wellness officer. Yeah. And here's our uh, presentation on burnout. Here's mm-hmm. our, this. Real change is when you see people who are in decision-making roles, chief medical officer, CEO, Mm -hmm. uh, people who are vice presidents, who are actually coming to sit down with people on the front lines and engage them in how to improve their day-to-day lives, Mm -hmm. day-to-day functioning of your clinic, of your inpatient unit, 
of your division, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. When you see those types of changes, when you see them just engaging and listening to people, that's when you know that there are signs of real change happening. And I would say that in some areas and in some organizations, I have seen these types of movements. Okay. And I you think mean they, they, they listen and then they, they act on something. Exactly. Yeah. But the first stage is listening. Yeah. And I feel like I feel like that's really the important point. And because people just get so discouraged, mm-hmm. the two things that are most important for physicians to really feel like, uh, like they are, that will lead to fulfillment and protect against burnout is a sense that they are working for a common mission mm-hmm. that everybody within the organization has a common mission. And that's not just what's written on the wall, but that it's truly lived out that we mm-hmm. all feel like we are trying to, to deliver quality care to this population. And you see people acting in that. Yep. The second thing is that you as an individual are valued, that you are a valued component of that organization. Mm-hmm. And the way that that is demonstrated is when your vice president, your CMO, or your clinic director, whoever it is, sits down with you and says, you tell me, Carl, what mm-hmm. you think are the changes that we need to make in your clinic to make mm-hmm. things better. And when you start to hear those kinds of questions and people following up with that, then you know that you can make some progress. You ever see anything like that happen? I have seen it in small, in small, uh, in small ways, I would sure. say. I think that in seeing it from a CMO perspective, not so much, mm-hmm. but again, what is it that impacts you on a daily basis? And the jobs that I have had and many, I would say the majority of my positions in healthcare have been as a medical director of an outpatient clinic or program or something like that. And I work in partnership with an administrative director of Mm -hmm. that clinic, that program, whatever it is. When the two of us have the same mission and we value each other's opinions, then that's when we can really make a difference. Okay. When this administrator is only answering to administrative people and I'm sitting here trying to answer to all my medical providers mm-hmm. and we never are able to meet together in, in parallel here, yeah. that's when I have seen things go downhill. Yes. And it's what's interesting about it is that that's almost any organization would suffer the same fate if that's how they behaved. It's uh it's not unique to medicine, but it's the consequences are quite high um, when you're when your doctor's burned out. So absolutely. Um, so like I Joe, like I say to almost every guest is, man, we could spend a lot more time talking about this. But in the interest of sort of more bite-sized advice here on practice care to sure. kind of bring us home, first first of two questions I ask every guest: Is there anything you think I should have asked you but did not? In the context mm. of what we talked about. Wow. That's a tough question. I I (laughs) I try. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I, you know, like you say, I could go on forever with stories. And I would say one thing I would say is that, um, there are, it's important to understand that each individual physician has his or her, their own path in life. Mm. And just because this is the way that you have done it the whole time, 
most of us have been following a program that was delivered to us by someone else. Mm -hmm. So I really think it's important to take the time, reflect on your life and really carve out your own path. Yeah. Well, you know, as you were saying that, um, it's, you know, if, if your mindset is one where you need to be convinced that things are different before you say, okay, it's time for me to change probably not a doctor, but the way you were trained to treat patients probably didn't fit a seven minute visit. Right. But here you are with seven minute visits. So the way in which you were trained, maybe it fit on the day you were trained, doesn't fit today. So there's a structural change. Maybe it's therefore okay for you to contemplate changing. Also, here's a question. Actually, you mentioned the AMA resource, any other resources you could recommend to listeners to kind of, you know, Google it up as soon as we're done and start to start to educate themselves. Sure. I think, I think that steps forward program is probably the most comprehensive, the Mm -hmm. national Academy of medicine and the, um, uh, um, Institute for Healthcare Improvement. Those are mm-hmm. two other organizations. National Academy of Medicine, Institute for Healthcare Improvement are uh, two other institutions that have a lot of resources. Okay. The other resource that I would say for myself, I know in everything I've talked about today, mm-hmm. I have to tell you, I have been battling myself. I Sometimes I can talk mm-hmm. like a preacher about what's needed and all this stuff. But I will tell you every single day, even as a physician coach, mm-hmm. even as a consultant now working with healthcare organizations, I have to work every single day questioning and journaling. Is this what I want to do? Or how am I approaching this? Is this so yeah. I'm trying to take my own advice the whole time. So I would say that um, self-compassion is something that I have found to be extremely important. Um and this is something that goes beyond self-care. It's yeah. it's realizing that we're all human. We all have limitations and we need to treat ourselves with the same compassion we treat our patients and the people that we love. And that's hard to do because we've never been taught that. Many of us have been taught self-sacrifice from the mm-hmm. day we were born. Keep working, work yeah. hard, you know, do everything, put yourself last, all of this putting yourself last is going to lead to a very short career in medicine. And, and it's such a reflex though. in today's complexity. Treat yeah. others better than ourselves. It's such a reflex. Uh, and it then is. it gets ingrained, you know, and, you know, yeah. kind of the other question I ask, which fits perfectly as a follow-on is, so for those who are listening, we've caught their attention. You've caught their attention. Are there one or two tangible steps you, you recommend they could take as soon as this episode is done? to get, I mean, one thing I think of is start a list, man. Look at your job on the left. What do you like on the right? What are you just making a list? You don't have to show it to anybody on the right. What do you hate? Like what is just God awful disastrous for you? Make the list, you know, you can stick it in a drawer if you want, I guess, but start looking at things. That's what I would say, but maybe that's like step nine. So what, what would you say are a good couple <laughs> of starter steps? <laughs> Yeah, I would say it depends on where you are within this continuum of whether of just wondering about whether you're in the right place versus really being burned out, Mm -hmm. depressed or whatever. Um, The first step is to really, if you have this concept inside of you that you just need to keep working to make things better, that you need to sacrifice yourself for the for your patients or whatever that might be. 
is really do everything you can to try to understand that this is a road, a path down to disaster, <laughs> to really take a look and to say, what is it that I truly need? And when I say that, it's not, oh gosh, I need a vacation or I need something like that. That may be the first step. But the, what is it that I really need? Like in general, I need more time. I need space in my life. I need mm -hmm. more uh, connection with my patients, something like that. So really take the time to reflect and to take care of yourself, to understand what it is that you need. And sometimes you need to do this with someone else, a coach or mm -hmm. a friend that really knows you well, or a therapist, a counselor, somebody. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like this idea that you say that if you get to the point where you can really sit down and say, what is my ideal job? What mm -hmm. is the job? And really dream about it and say, if I'm going to design and reinvent a job out mm -hmm. of nowhere, what is it? Mm -hmm. And what are the characteristics of my job? Like, where do I, you know, geography, where do I want to practice? How mm -hmm. much time do I want to work? What do my patient population look like? How yeah. much time do I want to spend in patient care versus administration or teaching or whatever? Yeah. All kinds of things like that. And then where are you now? Where does it intersect? Where are those things that, you know, where the two circles intersect and, yeah. and what do you have in common and what's outside? And if there's nothing there in common with where you are now, then really take a serious look at where you, where you are and realize you do have choice. And yeah. if you just call your friend from residency and they say, oh yeah, I'm miserable too. Don't stop there. Right. Don't just take that. That's, you know, you can, yeah. I can guarantee you, you're going to find your friend to say, I'm miserable too, to make you feel better that we're yeah. all miserable and that, and that great. It yeah. doesn't really help, but talk to someone that's really going to be looking at possibility and being able to look at you taking care of yourself as you make that, that reflective decision yeah. and discernment process. I guess the corollary to misery loves companies, but everybody's still miserable because you could spend that 10 minutes finding a, finding a miserable friend or reducing the miserableness or whatever, <laughs> recovering the joy. Yes. Cool. That's well, Joe. one thing I found discovered during the pandemic is I can always find other people that are miserable, but if I really want to help myself, I'm going to look for somebody that brings me life. There you go. Life giving in the relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you for all this. Thank you again. Like I said, every guest, we could, you know, go much deeper and broader, but uh, I really appreciate your time on bringing attention to, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's such an important topic. Think about this, you know, the patient sitting across from you is not getting your best. And I don't mean that in a negative, but you could be doing something, you know, do for your own sake, do something about it. Cause that's not what you want to be doing. Uh, Joe Sherman, thank you again. We're going to take all your contact information that you supplied and put in the show notes uh, so that those who want to get in contact with you can do so. A couple of points before we wrap up. If you're like Joe and you work with physicians like Joe or I, you work with, uh, with physicians and uh, you want to bring, you've got some experience that you want to tell others about to benefit our listeners, we want to hear from you. At the same time, if you're a practice owner who's got an experience on the business side that you think would help others from hearing about, we want to hear from you too. In the show notes for Joe's episode and every episode, there's a place where you can tell us, it's just a quick form, tell us what's on your mind, what you want to talk about so we can get you scheduled as soon as possible. And finally, if you haven't done so already, 
please subscribe to Practice Care on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks very much. And until next time. Thank you for listening to Practice Care with Carl White. Make sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss another episode. You can find our guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.